Shri Guru Parampara ki jai, Shri Bhakti Vedanta Sami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhaktavinda ki jai, O Premanande. Maharaj gave a beautiful personal testimony as to the influence of Prabhupada in his life and that in an ongoing way, even in after many years uh, after his departing from the world. And um, and uh, just to be clear, for those who might not have, who have less familiarity with some of the subject matter, the, uh, the confidential nature of it uh, that he was speaking about and expressed some reticence to even discuss and with reference to Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami who said something similar when he was blessed in a, by a vision, a dream from Nityananda Prabhu and it changed the course of his life. Uh, the idea is that um, that uh, that uh, such uh, kind of uh, divine intervention in our life or deep uh, spiritual experiences and insights are often best uh, kept to oneself as uh, private uh, moments and um, and certainly not used to wave a flag that I'm important and I had divine intervention in my life and and um, some people of course unfortunately do that and divine intervention is questionable <laughs> that they that they speak about and so, and so forth so there is a strong uh, tendency amongst uh, ad- truly advanced devotees to um, kind of uh, be a little bit um, lip, have their lips buttoned with regard to their spiritual experiences. People like to hear the spiritual experiences of, of others. Um, but there's uh, many people who are... Uh, uh, their whole following is based on s- such a, uh, expressions that are probably questionable. Hmm. So, rather on the strength of their character and their ability to explain the teachings and so on and so forth, they they seek to uh, um, help others, and if a following uh, comes of that, then they, they deal with it and so forth, not in a showy way. And so, this is kind of what he was saying he was a little embarrassed by the fact that, that Prabhupada would have such a powerful uh, appearance in his life after almost 40 years of his having departed from the world and setting him in a course and uh, in a direction that uh, that he's gone, which is very, very um, as he points out, that even Prabhupada was uh, uh, himself uh, a little bit... Um, well, horrified at the prospect of uh, uh, to leave home and be a beggar and uh, where you would get your next meal and so forth and fully dependent upon on Krishna. And this is the idea of the sannyas, of course, so that they carry the staff and um, wander around homeless. And, of course, in due course, it may be such that the home is created for them as a result of that, and that certainly would happen to Prabhupada. He, as he said, as, as Marsh was saying, he had a, a family with a few 
few children, and uh, and he he heard a higher calling, so to speak. He actually, like our ashram, Marsh had a dream, if you will, or a vision in which his guru, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, appeared to him and told him that he should take sannyas to to, in other words, embrace the world as one's family. Hmm? It's not really giving up of one's family, but of expanding the conception of family and friends and who is dear to me and not making the, the distinctions between this is my son, that's not my son, and, and, and that, that, that we make and so forth. Um, so an ex- rather than leaving the family, expanding uh, the family conception, embracing the world family, if you will, and... Um, and being interestingly, I think a sannyasi, both a both a child of the world and and a father at the same time, it's an interesting combination—a father in wisdom, um, and but a child in terms of being somewhat helpless and dependent upon others for uh, um, taking care of their material needs to some extent, which are which are limited, um, not perhaps really. Dependent, but it is the relationship between the renunciate and the and the persons with the foot in the world to whether the worldly people will support the livelihood of such a person who's doing it that they can only will only have to think about explaining the teaching and and exemplifying and, and not be concerned about other uh, issues of um, material necessity limited as as they may be for an aesthetic he still aesthetic he still has to eat and have some roof and so on and so forth. So at any rate, um, Prabhupada was also pushed in a dream by his guru to go in that direction. Wonderful things, obviously, as Maharaj said, uh, came of that. His family grew exponentially and he found he had uh, houses, temples, if you will, all over the world and children and so forth to to, uh, to nourish and uh, certainly to Take care of him with a, with a reciprocate with affection, the kind of affection that he that he had. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of love, a lot of compassion uh, to do that, and he did it in a very extraordinary way. Uh, so, eulogies like this, uh, personal testimonies we heard from Maharaj, are um, the norm today all around the world in the many places that he touched down. Our Prabhupada in places that he did never touch down, but but uh, a following uh, um, uh, sprung up, and there are, there are places, countries, cities that he never went to that uh, 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 had temples. I remember the like in Vancouver, Canada, just up the up the north here a bit. They have a beautiful temple there that started. They had 300 devotees at that time. He never went there. But just the power of his example and the books that he was writing and so forth, people would put it together, connect with his disciples and open a temple or a center and so forth. And uh, so very extraordinary power here. We talked a little bit about the power that Prabhupada asked for the other day when we were speaking about the Brahma Vimohan Leela and how Brahma, who was the master of the universe, if you will, the engineer of the universe, the, uh, the manager of the universe, as he's thought, became homeless by his mischief, as it turned out. 
Uh, he was kicked out of the Brahmaloka when he returned. Krishna had gone there in, his own, in the form of Brahma and said, you know, there's an imposter Brahma circulating around. Don't let him in if he comes. So he tried to steal from Krishna the cow, calves and cowherd boys, and he ended up a pauper himself, broke and homeless. Uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, so, uh, so to empty oneself out and be destitute and dependent and so on and so forth uh, as a homeless condition, uh, you can imagine, would uh, put one in is a good opportunity then to be filled up with something. And he, in that position, requested some power to do the task at hand, the bidding of his guru to explain these teachings in the Western world, as I was explaining on the boat, Maharaj referred to um, the, uh, what is the name, Madam Moraji, Sumati Moraji, who had the steam liner and so forth, and told him he was crazy, but you know, gave him the passage nonetheless, and he wrote about on the boat, how will I do this? And he asked for Krishna's power to do so, and as we can see, he got a lot of power he was very um, successful in that. Um, and um, and very unassuming about it as, as well. Um, it was very, very clear that he understood that he derived his power from, uh, from above, so to speak. He didn't take uh, credit for it. He, he, he used to speak about, if I have any credit, it is that I have... Strictly follow the orders of my guru, hmm? and so the power is coming from that. This was his focus. There are many things we could say, and as I said, all around the world today, different uh, students of, of of Prabhupada are speaking about him, expressing their sentiments and uh, and their uh, experiences of him in their their lives and so forth, um, and um, and so they want to focus on, on on perhaps different aspects of his personality and contribution. Uh, I'll, I'll speak on a few of those. And, um, and I think that it's important that if we are to engage in a eulogy of a great person, that the eulogy will be as compelling as it is actually an accurate um, Eulogy. There's something to be said about uh, glorifying in, in terms of something a person actually did, that rather than an exaggerated glorification that doesn't really speak to his contribution and um, and fosters in doing so a distorted picture of the person and perhaps a following that becomes um, something that would be his own nightmare, so to speak, an imaginary kind of idea. And this, this happens as well. With regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I mentioned last night, uh, not with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I'll get to that, but that great persons of the past, great saints and so forth, who set this example of having... Um, we were saying that we feel a little out of place because we're like fish on the sh- on the shore. We're con- rather than in the water. We're consciousness, not matter, and so we need to make that adjustment. We don't need to add more 
more shore to our lives. We need some water. We need to get in the water entirely. So people who have really done that and the evidence that they have being that they're actually content and super content. Um, I mean, a, a contentment that, uh, that, that is, that's, um, it's hard to talk about. Um, um, but, uh, uh, but they stand tall. If we, if we have the, the courage to examine the lives of great saints, it requires some courage because we can't examine without that feeling there's a call for our, ourselves to, to move in that direction. And this is the horrible, horrifying idea that, uh, that, that Maharaj talked about, that Prabhupada himself talked about. I was horrified at the idea I would have to... You know. But uh, with uh, uh, courage and so forth, of course, he, he went forward and, and uh, the result is there. So, so my, my point was that, that great persons, they set a, an example, great saints... Um, they, they, these are the people that who will forever be enshrined in the history of the world as people that made earth-shattering, um, you know, changes and so forth. Um, not as much by any means the politicians and so forth, and only for that matter, as much as they became good people and honest people, which is all going in the direction of the self, if you will. Hmm. Um, so, but. Uh, uh, they they may have been, my point was, exaggerated about, like we'll hear about them today and there'll be stories of their miracles and so were then some people in the, in the non-theistic uh, sections of the society, oh, the uh, people in the past just made up these stories about the people and, and so on and so forth. But they didn't make up the fact that they were really content, that they had solved the problem of, of anxiety and, and the discomfort of arguably, of, of being a fish out of water. They were in, in, in the water. And the measure of the contentment, the bliss, the self-satisfaction is, is extreme. And they demonstrate it empirically and so forth. So while there may be some place, I said last night, for some exaggeration, it's possible, about such persons, there is a way, there has been a way in the past of recording histories of saints that is different in the way that we would do it today. The discipline of history has changed and, and so forth. So the uh, typical, the what are they called, hagiography? Hagiography is, is a type of religious, um, spiritual biography of a saint and certain literary devices are employed to say he or she was great, or um, uh, and you'll find them repeated in the genre at the time that they were written, inter uh, cross culturally or cross disciplines, and some of the same. He did this in 24 days, and and, and he learned everything, and you know by the age of eight, and, uh, and and certain numbers are used by the age of nine, and so forth, and so. People will look at it and say, "Well, obviously they're just making up these stories, and so they're exaggerating them, or, or they're using some poetic device." Uh, you know, it was said about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that when he came, returned to Bengal after becoming a sannyasin and traveling to Puri and converting the king there, and uh, ripples of what he was about and his ecstasy were were going throughout the subcontinent of India. 
hometown boy returned to Bengal. People were so enthused to see him that when he that to get across the Ganges, so many people were in the Ganges swimming across that other people walked on their heads across. So it's a little bit of an exaggeration there. <laughs> a little bit of a literary device. The way of saying people were enthusiastic and lots of them in mass to hear about him and so forth. And and, and, and so that's the fact. And uh, you know, you want to say it in a certain way. It's beautiful, it's charming and so forth. It doesn't it doesn't do away with the, the substantial and essential point. At the same time, while there may be a little place for that, there's an important place for making our glorifications accurate in actually describing the nature of the contribution of the saint. And um, when they don't do that, they, they can take us in another direction where we end up with an imaginary you know, idea, not an accurate idea, and it turns to some type of a, kind of a religious uh, fanaticism, hmm, which is problematic and, uh, and counterproductive. Uh, the figure of the guru is arguably the the figure in our lives that most facilitates our pursuit of um, prem of mukti of prem of of perfection. Hmm? But that same principle, um, misunderstood, hmm, can be the, the greatest cause of our bondage, we could almost go from into, into, into negative numbers. And in the name, for example, of glorifying our guru, we could be offending others and, uh, and, and so forth with uh, religious fanaticism and exaggerated ideas, inaccurate ideas of what was his or her contribution. And um, so I want to speak a little bit about Prabhupada's contribution and I'll say a few things that I think are accurate about his contribution, maybe touch on a few ideas that I think are inaccurate that have been voiced uh, in the recent uh, decades that are uh, counterproductive. Uh, um, I wanted to, I, I mentioned Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's example. Let me go to that. Um, he was a great personality, and he, he obviously in, in the history of uh, of uh, India at the time, he is today as well, through the work of persons like our Guru Maharaj and and and, and so forth. But uh, at the time, his secretary, Swarup Damodar, was the person whom, if you wanted to offer some, have his audience uh, speak with him, um, or um, offer some literary um, glorification of him, which seemed to be uh, a thing of the times, it would go through Sarup Damodar first. And, and so he would, with regard to the literary um, contributions or praise or offerings uh, uh, to uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he would read them over first. And if they were not accurate in terms of what we call Siddhanta or the spiritual uh, conclusions about his contribution hmm? and who he, who he, what he uh, was representative of, and so on and so forth, then they would be rejected. Hmm? If they were inaccurate in terms of the tattva or the or the or the bhava, these are two categories: the philosophy or the feeling. What he was 
what he was feeling hmm, and what he was teaching. And there's some, obviously some correspondence, but they can be talked about differently. He felt like this, and he taught like this, therefore, and so forth. So he would check the offerings and in terms of bhava and in terms of tattva. They were accurate. Hmm? There's a saying about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, uh, the, the guru of, of, of our guru of Prabhupada, uh, that uh, what was not, uh, the, the, this is with regard to tattva, what was taught that was not according to the, to the doctrine of Rupa Goswami, who was the, the, the main, in one sense, um, uh, spokesperson of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was commissioned to be the kind of the, the, the founding acharya of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And, and, uh, uh, we, we call ourselves Rupanugas, the followers of Rupa Goswami, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the, the immortal character of Sri Chaitanya. This book of Krishna's Kaviraj is really an explanation of the experience of Rupa Goswami, Rupa Goswami's experience of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what it is. Hmm? How Rupa Goswami experienced Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is what Krishna Das has written about. Hmm? And that's thought to be the full, most complete idea of, of what he embodied and, and, and so forth. Therefore, we find Narottam pray, prays, what does he say? Sri Chaitanya Manovishtam Stapitam Yenabhutu Swayam Rupukadhamayam Dadati Swapadantikam. When will the conception of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about and his contribution was that appeared in the heart of Rupa Goswami? When will that appear in my heart? Hmm? Um, when can I embrace that? So, so um, uh, Prabhupada himself was very concerned. He said that uh, that uh, I, I mentioned last night that the, the American boys and girls, as he used to call us, they they always want to change things. They always want to change things. They're very concerned that they would change what he was teaching, hmm? distort it, and so forth. Um, to an extreme, he was concerned about that. So, um, so much so that that if you don't understand the spirit behind that, then you end up on the other another end of another problem. One problem is changing it. Hmm? Another problem is taking it too literally, without understanding the spirit of it. Hmm? That becomes another deviation. <laughs> you can change it, or he said not to change it, and you can. Yes, he said not to change, but what did he say? What is the meaning? And what I'm saying now is not changing, although it may sound different literally, but it's actually the spirit of what he's saying, and that has to be pointed out. So you can err on both sides, if you will. And we, I bring it up because we've seen these things. He was a, certainly a great personality, huge contribution, um, and we'll speak about accurately, hopefully, that, that, that contribution, but that is very important, and that will really have power hmm, to bring us in touch with him in a meaningful way and, um, and, and allow us to be kind of contagious, if you will, have caught the, 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 uh, the infection, if you will, that he was uh, a breeder of breeding and, uh, <laughs> and sharing everywhere. Like I said before, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, Mahaprabhu's ecstasy, that is accurate. These accounts of his ecstasy are very, very extraordinary, um, and they're repeated by a number of eyewitnesses again and again. We don't find that measure of ecstasy um, anywhere. 
even I, I've cited in one of my books a Christian theologian, Presbyterian, I believe, theologian, who wrote that in the religious history of the world, he, there's no person that more embodied who's a Christian the, the love of God that Christ seems to talk about than the person of Sri Chaitanya, who would fall into fits of ecstasy and swoons in Jagannath Puri just by uttering the name of Krishna. He would pass out and even aspire blood and all types of the, the, the ecstasy. It's a very interesting topic, of course, how that, that works. The bhava comes, rides on the mind and on the airs within the body and, and uh, the elements of earth, solidity, liquidity, or water, fire, the heat of the body, the the air of the body, the um, the space, and so forth. These are all earth, water, fire, air. These are basic kind of elements. As the ecstasy, as the bhav touches one of them hmm, through the airs of the body, then you'll have a corresponding response. As it touches the water, there'll be perspiration, tears, and he would shower the people around him with tears like a fountain. Hmm? very extraordinary, and uh, when it would touch the earth element, then it would become solid like earth. Hmm? And uh, and the uh, ether space element, he would become spaced. You know, he would have a swoon and pass out and, uh, and so on and so forth. So anyway, this, uh, in one sense, our tradition is, people talk about bhava and talk about ecstasy, but our tradition happens to excel in talking about it in great detail. Sri Rupa's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the book that's called The Ocean of Bhakti Rasa, what it's about. He has an entire uh, section about the nature of bhava. What is bhav, bhav, abhas? What is a shadow of bhav? What is a reflection of bhav? What is uh, uh, different types of um, um, reflections, different types of shadows? It's, it's very... <laughs> comprehensive exploration of the nature of ecstasy. That's why I say when we see the t-shirts be in the bath, we, we kind of chuckle. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a big uh, topic, and, and there, is, there is some kind of math to it. I mean, what it is and what it's not and, and, and so forth are, are uh, major subjects, major topics within our our tradition, because the, the person whom we are following, Sri Chaitanya, was like a great uh, waterfall of ecstasy. I've compared it to that before. If you could go before the Niagara Falls, you just kind of stand back and go, wow. But these, his immediate disciples made that waterfall into a lake of literature. Hmm. Try to explain what is that. And locate that, that body of ecstasy on the um, spiritual map of the revel- revealed texts of of, of antiquity, hmm? and they did that. They explained it hmm? based on the and, and this way they made it accessible, like a lake that you could drink from, bathe in, and and take advantage of, and so forth. So, uh, so at any rate, uh, 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 we want to be. Uh, if we if we if we understand accurately the teaching, hmm, then there's good scope for this bhava, this ecstasy, to come within us. If we don't understand it, we distort that, and then some kind of sentiment will come. 
but it will be like a religious fanaticism and so forth. And then in the name of glorifying my guru, for example, is better than everybody else. I mean, it may go in the direction of criticizing other gurus, and that will not be a good idea because the guru is one in many forms. Hmm? Hmm? And so, and it's and in our tradition, of course, the guru is an ongoing uh, reality. There's a succession. As the one departs, we say, Nitya Lila Pravishta Om. He's entered into the Lila. We glorify like that. Uh, when he's present, we give a different Jayom Vishnu Pad Parama. We say that he's a great soul. So he, in the present, and after he's departed from our vision, we say, Nitya Pravishta. He's entered into the Lila. Uh, so then someone else's, the following is there to continue the idea and explain and embody what he's about and so forth. And the Nitya Lila Pravishta is an important point with regard to uh, exaggeration as well because we do want to give him the, the, the credit for entering in and being absorbed there rather than overseeing our everyday to day lives in the present. Hmm? Although there may be extraordinary instances of his intervention, appearing in a dream and saying something, for the most part, he's gone to that side. Hmm? And while some, in the name of glorifying, want to keep him here, he's here. He hasn't left. We don't need anybody else, kind of thing. As all these, again and again and again, saying is a real sign that you really need somebody else to, you know, continuation of that current to teach you about it. Because his going there, Nityalila Pravishta, means he has is still involved in your life, and it's lesson number two now. First lesson was, he's here now, and he said, you should rise early in the morning, you should do this, you should do that, you should cook like this rather than like that, you should organize this and preach here and go there, and and so on and so forth. That's part one. Part two is Nitya Pravishta, and you have to be part of that. You have to go there, too. Now you're horrified again. You have to go there. You, you, and you, cannot do, you can just take the sannyas, but you have to live up to that. You have to develop some inner life. Hmm? Um, that, that, that's the, the challenge. Not that you have to be a sannyasi to do that, but, but, to, but to go there. Hmm? This is a big challenge to, to, to meet. To, he's still there, they say. He's still here. Yes, he's still here. <laughs> he's still there. But but in what capacity, really? Hmm? Internally to be contacted. Hmm? He has another form also. We talked about that. Siddharupa, sadhakarupa. He has a practitioner's body, as it appears, by which he teaches us how to practice. He has an internal meditative spiritual body that he's in that Brahma Vimohan Lila that we were discussing. Mm-hmm. We said, those are the, this, the chapter he left in. Hmm? So, when he, when he departs, those in the know realize it's time for, it's time to go. In he's gone there, we have to go there. Hmm? We have to move in that direction. And as much as we are unable to naturally progress and move in that direction, we take some help through the extension of the succession hmm? in the present 
representatives, embodied in the present representatives, and so forth. This is, and, and, and to help us practically and nurture us to go in, in, in that direction by enhancing our understanding, the nature of that uh, dimension, and, and so on and so forth. So more teachings to come, not less, through the succession, something like that. Um, so accurate uh, glorification, this is important. Hmm? Misunderstanding the principle of the guru, well, that can cause havoc, like I said. Then we, for, and this is just a crude example. My guru is the best, and, and, and then you start criticizing other gurus, and then you're going against the very principle, and you're going down, not up. And it's all with in the name of glorifying the guru. And these things happen. Hmm? It happens. So, I'd say one of the things about Prabhupada, of course, that is very accurate, is, and I touched on it, um, and Marge did as well, is that, is that Prabhupada had very strong uh, guru nishta. Means, uh, nishta means like firm conviction about his own um, guru. He said that my credit, people like to praise me, but my only credit is that I strictly follow the order of my guru, but, of course, the order that he refers to was a suggestion that he received. Uh, he was living as a householder, and the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta, his guru, was going on, and uh, it was very powerful. He, was, uh, he had many, many monastics and sending them to different places throughout. He opened 64 monasteries in India, hmm? and he sent one representative to England, to um, to start something, and this was when India was occupied by the British. Uh, incidentally, he expressed a desire to have ten years in, in America. He foresaw, before um, World War II, he foresaw that there would be a time America would be the most prominent country in the world. So he expressed some interest that I would like to spend ten years in America, and. Um, uh, we think that he got those ten years plus two in the form of his disciple, Prabhupada, who went to tw- spent twelve years in America, representing him on his order. He said, "I came here." Well, his order, the order of Bhakti Siddhanta, was uh, Prabhupada wrote to him and said, "I'm living outside as a householder. I would like to render some service. I get these letters, Guru Maharaj, any service I can do. Sometimes it's more trouble than." Um, you know, to give it the nod. So uh, that's unfortunate, but we have service. We should chant, we should hear. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I have some suggestions as well. Uh, but Prabhupada took those very seriously. Hmm? He got one back. He said, well, I think it would be good if you could speak about Chaitanya's teaching in, 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 to English-speaking people. Hmm? That was his order. <laughs> it was like a suggestion. Another occasion in Radha Kund when Prabhupada was with his guru and they were um, visiting Vrindavan and the holy places of Krishna's pastimes and so forth where there are monuments and temples built and it's, it's, a, it's quite a mystical kind of tour to go there and visit all those places and tell the story of what happened here and so on and so forth. So they were doing that and Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, Prabhupada's guru, our guru, he said... Uh, to him, if you ever get money, print books. Hmm? Uh, he 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 was uh, he, he 
was more concerned about publishing literature than opening centers. I began my mission by publishing literature. Hmm. thought that was most important. And then some centers came uh, uh, as a byproduct of that, like this one. So these are the kind of orders he got, really. To preach in English was like a suggestion. So he took a couple of things that he heard. Hmm. He only spent, he told us, about two weeks a day here, a day there, three days here, personally, with his guru. And so he paid so much attention. Hmm? And he, he took his suggestions to him as orders. You can imagine Bhakti Siddhanta may have given so many, do this, do this, to so many disciples. Here to Prabhupada, he made a suggestion, and Prabhupada took it like it's life and soul. Hmm? And um, even negotiated with Krishna, you have to give me the power, as I said the other day, to fulfill the order of my guru, Bhaktisiddhanta, toward teaching this in the, in, in the Western world and so forth. So this is called Guru Nishta, extreme faith in, in the, the efficacy of, of adherence to the direction of the guru. This is a very good quality. I was, Govinda Maharaj once told me, the successor of Pujapatrita Maharaj, that Tripurari Maharaj, she says, you have guru, very strong Guru Nishta. Because I was investigating areas of uh, the teachings that were, um, that were um, um, what would I say? Um, there were some there was some criti- criticism of our, of our of our lineage, and I was able to go. And I said, "What is that criticism? Let me hear it all. Hear it all. Let me hear." So I would hear it all, and then I would, you know, turn it around. So like he said, to go there even. Usually we don't even listen to it. You know, it's contaminating. So he could go there, listen to that. And so it's a little bit have a little bit of tendency like that by his grace. Um, so. Um, I know a little bit about Guru Nishta, and I can tell you, Prabhupada had a very strong Guru Nishta that's very accurate. Hmm? Um, then, of course, he, he, he wrote many books. Um, um, but he wasn't a scholar. And they will, some will go, what? How can you say that? And he wasn't a scholar. He said that himself. Hmm? He didn't cross his T's and, and dot his I's, and, and sometimes I wish he had sharpened his pencil a little bit more. But he was writing about 60 books in the course of traveling around the world 12 times and answering thousands of letters from his disciples. I mean, there are literally, I don't know how many volumes there are. Big books. Three, three, volumes. three, three big volumes of his correspondence with his disciples answering you know, their questions and so forth. And traveling around the world, he opened over 100 temples in countries, some of which he... he, he he didn't even go to, but to those he did, he went all over Europe, he went to Central America, um, different parts of uh, Asia, well, well, well India, um, and um, North America, Europe, and uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a huge thing, I could tell you, to manage a, a temple and see that it's staffed and that people are enthusiastic, the deities are nicely taken care of, the guests are taken care of, the grounds, everything. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> He had to constantly hear about that, manage that, organize that. If you want to write a scholarly book, you know, you, 
you take a leave of absence, you know, to write your PhD, you know, doctorate, you've got like six years to write it and research it and think about it, and you've got a huge bibliography of all the books you've read and so forth. I personally have no college education. <clears throat> I don't have that kind of um, background. But um, when I write my books, the books that I have written, I think that I take more time in one sense than, than Prabhupada did to write them and to cross the T's and, 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 and dot the I's. He wrote through a dictaphone. Um, when we would go to bed at about 10 o'clock, that's when Prabhupada would stay up and write after being up all day and seeing different people and talking to different people in the daytime, managing, organizing, sharing himself with his disciples and so on and so forth and traveling and so forth. And then after the long day, we would go to bed and he would, he would stay up. I remember in Vrindavan, I was staying with, Vrindavan, with, with there and Prabhupada was there in the temple and I would get up at night and look out and from my window I could see Prabhupada on his veranda with his dictaphone and he'd read the book and then he would dict- dict- translate it in English. And of course, English was his second language so his translation wasn't scholarly in that respect hmm? uh, and so forth. So uh, they weren't up to... He wasn't a scholar. That will sound like, how can you criticize him? He wasn't a scholar. But you see, this is what he was... Is, is is that he could do that? That he could bring out you know sixty volumes of books and uh, and he didn't have editors. He didn't have substantive editors. He had copy editors, but not substantive editors. They were afraid to be substantive editors because they didn't even know the philosophy <laughs> to begin with, and they were hearing it for the first time, and they felt like everything he says is completely divine, and so just as we print it as it is, we we're afraid to copy edit it even. But he insisted. No, it has to be edited. It has to look, you know, be presentable to the Western world. There's a story of how one of his godbrothers talked about their guru, two of them, and uh, Sridhar Marsh was telling us, he said that Professor Sanyal, uh, who was a professor and a disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta, he had said that if Guru Maharaj says, spells the word differently than Webster's dictionary, then we should change the dictionary. Mm-hmm. That was his kind of faith. And, and so the devotee said, yeah, that sounds great. You know? <laughs> and they said, but no, hold on, hold on. <laughs> he said, but another disciple said, well, that's a nice sentiment, but Guru Maharaj wanted us to write it the way Webster wrote it you know, so that you know, other people who don't have the same feelings and sentiments and haven't been touched and moved by faith, hmm, uh, that will, that will, in love, that will see faults as ornaments, hmm, that, 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 that they won't criticize him. Hmm? Like, he doesn't even know how to spell, and we're supposed to read his book, you know. This is, you know, something like that. So he said, the latter position, that is a more mature position hmm? than the other one, which is nice sentiment, but it becomes a little fanatical and not really in the interest of serving the guru. Hmm? We don't care what they say. He's like, you know... He cared. He wanted to come. He said once he was asked by a reporter, you know, if you're so spiritual, why didn't you fly here on a carpet from India <laughs> instead of coming on a plane? He said, well, I came on your terms. Hmm? Uh. <laughs> when in Rome, do as the Romans. Something like that. 
I wanted to be like, you know, I didn't want to stand out. <laughs> he had those kind of answers, which are very, like, you know, um, perfect, uh, kind of e- e- exposing, you know, the, the, the question, hmm? bringing the question into question, something like that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, um, so he wasn't a, 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 a scholar. In, 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 once he was asked by uh, one of his disciples, a sannyasi disciple, a god brother of ours named Vishnu John Maharaj, about a statement of Bhakti Vinod. Bhakti Vinod is the guru of Prabhupada's guru. We, we say Bhakti Vinod Paribha. We're in the family of Bhakti Vinod. Bhakti Vinod was the first person amongst the Chaitanya Vaishnavas, the Bhakti Gaudiya lineage of ours, that began to interface this ancient tradition with modernity. This was at the turn of the 19th, uh, uh, 20th century. Hmm? And um, uh, he wrote to Thoreau and Emerson, uh, the American transcendentalists, and, uh, and um, uh, he began to hear modern arguments about the world and so forth, and then talk about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in relation to that and so forth. He kind of laid the foundation for the work that Prabhupada ultimately did of going to the West and, and translating this to one extent or another into a different cultural um, setting and so forth and, and so on. So anyway, Bhakti Vinod Thakur said, I left this world, my work undone. So Vishnu John Maharaj, my godbrother, asked our guru that Bhakti Vinod said he left this world, his work undone. What did he mean? Hmm? And Prabhupada said, oh, that is his mercy. He could have done everything, but he left something for us to do. He left some service for us to do. Hmm? He could have finished everything, but he left some service. So, um, the fact that Prabhupada wrote and spoke about Gaudi Vaishnavism in the way he did, kind of sometimes from the hip and while traveling and so forth, and he would ask us, what do they say? What do the American, what, you know, what do the American people say? What do the European people say? What do the educated people say? He didn't go and study, um, you know, Heidegger and Kant and Hegel and uh, uh, Fromm and uh, you know all the different philosophers and psychologists and thinkers and the whole progression of Western thought and so forth. But his mission was to inject within the Western society spiritual sensibilities of the, of the East. And, um, and he found in us, young boys and girls, as he used to think of us, and we were, a receptive audience amongst the counterculture. We were hippies uh, for the most part. Um, and he found a receptive audience. He said, well, we'll go with that. And whatever we knew about what Heidegger said, or, you know, <laughs> depends how educated you were and so forth. But he was trying to get his own education on the run, so to speak, as much as he needed to speak about it in a, in a compelling way that w- would make sense. Like, if we, like I was talking with Gore Krishna earlier today, and he was saying that he was studying a lot of Western philosophy, and he would study different philosophers, and he would see these currents of Vedanta running through them, the real thinkers hmm? R- running through them and so forth, and uh, the kind of the perennial philosophy, if you, if you will, sanatana dharma, the idea of what is the nature of the human condition and what is consciousness, and to some extent they may touch on that as well and so forth. So uh, that's a 
good exercise, of course, to take your Gaudiya Vedanta and explain it and, and, and with, with some road marks, like, and Heidegger said this here, and, you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, Freud said this here, the oceanic experience. And, and I, I'm the same way, in one sense, as Prabhupada. I have no education. I, I just hear things. I read a little something. I find something. I go in and find, well, that's useful, and take that out. And I, but uh, um, I have no college education or degree or anything like that. And Prabhupada... Um, didn't encourage me to get one, but he and, and, and he was. As I said, well, so he was anyway getting his education about the West. The way it started was in India. He wanted to follow the order of his guru to preach, and speak in the Western world about this tradition, and he had no way to get there. He had no money. He couldn't. It was hard to get a passport, even. What to speak of getting a visa, and then to get passage and the money to travel. He had none of those things. So each um, hurdle was enormous for him for you know even today for a person in India a third world country to come to America it's you know it's difficult to get the visa because they think you're going to come here and work and take some americans job or a, a whatever it is the immigration considerations are you know it's a big thing in in in, in uh, the political arena today so um it was difficult for him each to get the passport to get the visa and then to get the transport and the money and so forth. he got it it all but before that he was living in Vrindavan, the beautiful rural pastoral setting of Krishna's appearance place, and then he was writing his magazine called Back to Godhead, and then he would beg money to get a train to go to Delhi, and then he would go to the printers and beg the printer to print the magazine. He said, I'll pay you after they're printed, and I sell them at the tea shops. And so people in India at the time were all preoccupied with politics, uh, you know, it was a new country. Hmm? After the, the British had um, left and so forth, it was a new re- new republic, and so you know, politics were you know how the country will be run and so forth. Everybody and all the men in the tea shops, you know, talking about politics. And here would come Prabhupada with his Back to Godhead magazine, and in those tea shops, he found some tracks from like Jehovah's Witnesses and people like that, Christians, you know, and he would read them and get some idea of what they think in America, you know. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they have these articles that go, and the contemporary this, the contemporary that, and then it all comes down. Therefore, serve Jesus, you know. <laughs> They're kind of <laughs> simplistic <laughs> in a way. <laughs> uh, and so I think he would get some, and this was his like burning passion to fulfill the order of his guru and, and go to the West, not to go to America to find material you know, improvement and uh, and so on and so forth, but to inject within the Western society uh, the spiritual insights of of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. So, so he wasn't a scholar. I mean, he didn't he didn't study Western philosophy. Um, uh, really, he wasn't schooled by Bhakti Siddhanta or his guru in any systematic way either. Hmm? He said, "My Siksha guru was was Sridhar Maharaj." He said. Uh, everything I learned, I learned from Sridhar Marsh. Sridhar Marsh is, is, is the godbrother of Prabhupada, who Prabhupada told us after his departure, if you need any guidance in philosophy, you can go to him. I went to him, of course, and he's on our altar as well. And uh, they lived together for six years in Prabhupada's house. Prabhupada was a family man. Sridhar Marsh was a renunciate. He had a place there, stayed there, and he would do some preaching from there. And so he schooled Prabhupada, apparently, according to Prabhupada's own statement, in the 
the philosophy hmm? uh, to uh, a large extent, and you know, in a systematic way. Um, of course, he had a feel for it, and uh, he was a great devotee from his childhood, even. But um, but still, to to put it in 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 language and articulate it and so forth, uh, and to learn it systematically. But he was um, not formally a scholar by his own admission, hmm? and he wrote his books kind of out of urgency, and that, that's what comes through. There's like a spiritual urgency in his writing. It's very, um, it tends to be rather uh, compelling that we should, you know, take this up and uh, and uh, and uh, to to bring people to to action. And then there are themes in the books. There are themes that he emphasized. Hmm? A theme we were discussing during our festival here was Krishna's two Bhagavan's line, that Krishna is the fountainhead of all manifestations of divinity, this Krishna idea. So this is a key uh, point of the, uh, of the philosophy um, that if you understand it properly, it really facilitates your practice and the, 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 the ingress of of bhava and ecstasy. And so he emphasized this point. He coined the phrase Krishna, comma. I think they use a comma there. The Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is a way of saying Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. He put it throughout his books like a mantra again and again. Every time he would mention Krishna, we say Krishna. And so Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, did this. And you look at it, it's a kind of repetitious. You know, this is Krishna, the Supreme Person. He said, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna's too, Bhagavan You keep hearing it. Throughout, hmm? so he 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 did this, you know, thoughtfully. This was a thoughtful, willful uh, device, if you will, implanted in his in in his writing. So, so emphasis on emphasis on this point of philosophy, and emphasis on what Gaudiya, but Bhakti is not. Hmm? So the Advaita Vedanta idea, another school of Vedanta that says the Atma and Brahman are one. There's no individuality. Individuality is only an illusion, a bodily illusion. Overcome the bodily um, identification, and you realize that you're Brahman, you're God, and there's no bhakti there. There's no interaction between you and God. This idea. You've got to get this idea out of your head if you want to realize what uh, our lineage is teaching about. Hmm? That doesn't go together. <laughs> so, uh, and that is a prominent was a prominent form of Vedanta that had come to the Western world through Vivekananda. Hmm? It's popularized, and in in the academic uh, circles where they would teach about Hinduism, they would say, and Hinduism it has var- var- varied religious expression that all culminates in this Advaita Vedanta, and the Christians would be would say, see, this is where it's wrong, you know, because there's God and there's us and we're not God and, and so forth. And so uh, there was no idea, there in, in practically speaking, in academia, in the world of scholarship, that there, was, there were nuanced ideas, uh, conceptions of Vedanta. Hmm? And so Prabhupada made this contribution, and he made ingress. Well, he wasn't himself a scholar, as he as he self-professed. Uh, he did get into the scholarly community the idea 
that Advaita Vedanta is not the be-all and end-all, that all there is idea to the, to the uh, conclusion of uh, the essential spirituality of Hinduism. Hmm? And so he spawned a whole uh, even uh, scholarship of bhakti and different types of bhakti and so forth. And, uh, and there are numbers, a number of scholars now and, and some of them, some of them, they, some of them criticized Prabhupada's books that he wasn't a scholar. But they don't stop to think that they wouldn't be writing about that if he hadn't, you know. So he, he you know, made that in, ingress and, and, and so forth. So it's a huge accomplishment. So you know, you can't do everything. Hmm? Like Bhakti you know, said, well, I love, or you, or you, you could, but you want to leave something for some from your students to do, something like that, you know. That's a nice point because some of Prabhupada's disciples, they like to glorify him and say, he's everything and we can do nothing and, and so forth. And, but, you know, the other side of it is, wait a minute, you know, he, he's everything, he could do everything, but he didn't do everything because he wants you to do something in the here and now. You know, that's also there in a prominent way and he explained it like that, of course, as well in relation to Bhakti Vinod, as, as I mentioned. So in his books, there's a particular emphasis, anti- Advaitin philosophy, kind of. He, he, he keeps exposing the philosophical kind of loopholes or shortcomings, and there's a lot of them in that that tradition or that angle of vision, and positing over it this bhakti idea. In other words, he emphasizes, I like to say, that it's better to exist to love than to love to exist, and. Um, and he emphasizes it repeatedly. So these are two of the very prominent, prominent, repeated emphases in his writing and his outreach. He's known for his outreach and sharing widely and so on and so forth. Um, and he was doing it on new, new turf, you know, where people were unfamiliar with the concepts and so forth. So he emphasized in a particular way, more, inter- more of an introductory way and so forth. Hmm? Um, and uh, it's important to understand that contribution. And it's hardly a minimization of him because if we look back in history in our lineage, we will say, well, uh, Sanatana Goswami, this was his contribution. Hmm? These are the original disciples of Chaitanya. Rupa Goswami, his contribution was a little bit different. Hmm? Rupa Goswami wrote on Bhakti Rasa. Sanatana Prabhu did not write on Bhakti Rasa. Rupa Goswami was not a philosopher. Hmm? Like what? Hmm. Sanatana Goswami was the philosopher. He was the expert in the Bhagavatam. He wrote about the. If you study his books, like Brihad Bhagavatamrita, for example, he is really engaged in a logical presentation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and why and what it's not and so forth. Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is not like that. It's a book about ecstasy. It's a book about what is Bhakti Rasa. Hmm? It's entirely different focus. Um, and so if you look at these great, and everyone in our lineage will say, oh, Sanatana is the greatest, and Rupa Goswami great. But if you look at them accurately, see, one did not do this. He didn't do that. He wasn't everything. And he didn't do that. They had their expertise. In other words, they had their ways in which they, selfless as they were, were used, excuse me, as instruments. Hmm? in the service of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that is what is glorious about them, that they made themselves available, vessels, 
empty vessels to be filled up with how they, he, he, they would, he would like to empower them to do a certain kind of work, a certain kind of contribution. So it's important, I think, to understand that about Prabhupada because I've found in recent years and decades since his passing that there's a, a blurring hmm, of what he did in, almost as an excuse not to do anything oneself. He did everything. Hmm? And therefore, who, 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 are, who, who are you to write a book? He already wrote all the books. Hmm? Like I did an edition of Bhagavad Gita and some of my government says, who is he to write a Bhagavad Gita? Prabhupada already wrote a Bhagavad Gita. Of course, Prabhupada said, oh, there could be many Bhagavad Gitas. Once he was asked, once he asked one of his disciples, what book should I write next? And he, he, his disciple, Prabhupada actually wanted thoughtful input from his disciples, but we weren't very thoughtful at this time. We were very young. So we, we didn't realize he was actually asking for real answers, real opinions. Hmm? Um, before I go on with that, one of my garbhadas said that he got on the plane with Prabhupada, and uh, there was some music in the background. Prabhupada said, it's very nice music. And he thought, is he testing me? I shouldn't... <laughs> it's obviously not about Krishna, so I shouldn't be listening to it. <laughs> and uh, so, that, I don't know, he said something to Prabhupada. Prabhupada said, no, I like it. <laughs> it's good music. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that also brings us to the point that in bhakti, you will actually develop desires, personal desires, hmm? that will, and the, your personal desires will be pleasing to Krishna. That's a very interesting concept. Hmm? Because you're living only to please Krishna, and Krishna, doesn't just, Krishna wants to express himself through you. So in Leela, for example, the devotees, they have all kinds of different desires, and all of them are pleasing to Krishna. Mother Yasoda is not just, I'm your servant, Krishna. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Hmm? From the from the from the non different perspective, they are vehicles through which Krishna is playing out his will to experience variety of ecstasy. Hmm? But from the Bade perspective, we see they actually have desires. Hmm? Like a mother has desires, a friend has desires. But it's all in the context of bhakti rasa, so all of their personal desires are pleasing to Krishna. That's a very interesting concept. So, at a certain point, then, of course, a person like Prabhupada would have certain desires, but they would all, for, for another person, they might not be as pleasing to Krishna, but for him, they would all be pleasing to Krishna. And, of course, he had a humanness about him. It was very, very, very charming. If he could see it in the right, right, right light. Uh, so, when he, was, when he asked his disciple, he said, what, what book do you think I should write next? And the guy's thinking, uh, you know, what am I supposed to say? You know, what, what, is he, what kind of answer does he really want? You know? And then uh, so Prabhupada's waiting for an answer. He doesn't say anything. So Prabhupada said, I was thinking maybe Bhagavad Gita. And then the disciple said, oh, but Prabhupada, you already wrote the Bhagavad Gita. And then Prabhupada said, oh, there can be so many editions of Bhagavad Gita. There's so much to be said. He's really saying there, I wrote the Bhagavad Gita as it is, but I, I really, I could write another one and say it all, you know, different or say much, that much more about it. Hmm? I'm horrified by my own edition. It's horrif- horrifying to look at. Well, so many things I could have said that I didn't say. It's like, I can't read it. Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have added this. Uh, it, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> so, 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 some people were, you know, some, they said, who's he to write the Bhagavad Gita? You know, there can be so many Bhagavad Gita. So to say Prabhupada wrote the Bhagavad Gita, you know, Prabhupada didn't write the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna wrote the Bhagavad Gita. Um, um, and, uh, and of course, he, there can be many commentaries on it and so forth. So we should understand what was his commentary, what he emphasized in the commentary. Like if you're going to sit down and you're going to write, you're going to think, who's the audience, what I want to emphasize at this particular time and place and so forth. And it'll have great power in that time and place. It'll have power if it's spiritual in all times and places, but it may have more power at the time it was written than at a later time when there's a time for another edition and so on and so forth. So this we have to understand Prabhupada in, in, in a dynamic way, in this way. And then when we say he didn't do this, this is what his contribution was, and it was limited to this. We're not limiting or minimizing him in any way. We're actually accurately glorifying how he was empowered at his particular time to write, to speak, to act, to conduct himself, hmm, to bring about an ex- the extraordinary result that he got, and it was super extraordinary. Hmm. But does it mean that in all times we'll act exactly the same way and say the exact same thing and, and write exactly and expect to get the same result? Is that the teaching? Not if you read his books, it's not the teaching. Hmm? So it's important, as I say, to accurately um, uh, glorify him um, and, and not to kind of over-glorify or, 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 or mis misglorified. Like, for example, if I was to say Prabhupada is so great, actually he's, he's Krishna, he's God. I mean, Prabhupada would, you know, turn over into samadhi, like, no, wait, my teaching is I'm not God, you know. And so, unfortunately, it can kind of like go in that direction, and uh, and so, for example, some some people now, they, they, they Prabhupada, Prabhupada referred to himself as the founder Acharya. Acharya means one who teaches by example. Founder means founder. The founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which is the corporation that he formed uh, uh, in the name of his mission. Hmm? The founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He's founded it, and he's the Acharya who found the founding Acharya. The found, by saying founder Acharya means that there will be other Acharyas. There's a founder Acharya, and then there will be successive Acharyas, that's a that's a that's a given. Hmm? Um, now, some of his disciples are saying today that Prabhupada said he's the founder Acharya. They don't say of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. They say he called himself a founder Acharya. What does a founder Acharya mean? Hmm? And then they they come up with this nobody. In history, who has ever called himself a founder Acharya? Hmm? And they look through some English publications, like the Harmonist of Gaudiamath of Prabhupada's Guru's mission. They didn't. They, they found they didn't find it. I, I, maybe once Bhakti Siddhanta was referred to as a founder Acharya. It's just very rare that someone will call themselves a founder Acharya, hmm? and it has great and deep, deep, um, deep meaning. Hmm? Uh, uh, Madhva was a founder Acharya. Ramanuja was a founder Acharya. Uh, Vishnu Swami and um, uh, Nimbarka, these are 
representatives of four other Vaishnav bhakti lineages from antiquity. They developed uh, um, um, systems of Vedanta like Dvaita Dvaita, Dvaita Vad, Mishishta Dvaita, Shuddha Dvaita. Ours is Achintya Veda Veda. Hmm? Uh, so forth. So they actually articulated a whole metaphysic and started a school, so to speak. Hmm? They founded a school. So they 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 said that because Prabhupada called himself a founder acharya, Prabhupada is there's four of these. He's the fifth founder acharya. Hmm? It means like he's super, uh, you know, in the lineage, he's the, in the particular lineage, he is the most significant person of any, of any, of any figure, any spiritual figure in the lineage. The founder Acharya is the most significant person. That's what Madhva is to his lineage. That's what Ramanuja is to his lineage. Hmm? For example. And so, they want to say that, that, that Prabhupada Use this term, found a chart. Therefore, the implication is, and they're just realizing this now, forty years later, that he is the he is the founder acharya in the way that they are, and therefore he should be looked at in a certain light. Nobody can be like him, and any other guru has to be lesser than him, and everything has to come. He's the fountain of all the teachings. All the teachings will we, we just repeat what he says, and uh, more or less, this is kind of the idea. This is very wrong and very problematic because it's very wrong. The glorification is very inaccurate. It's very, very problematic. The way it's in- inaccurate is very simple. Hmm? First of all, Prabhupada called himself the founder Charya, as I said, of ISKCON. He's a founder Charya of a particular institution within a lineage that already has a metaphysic called the Chintu Beta Beta, in which the most significant spiritual person is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, who's the founder of it. Hmm? Or if you want to look and say, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is Krishna himself, then you go to Rupa Goswami, and he's the founder of Acharya. Rupa, there's a group of them, Rupa, Sanatan, Jiva Goswami. They wrote the foundational books, like I said. They took the ecstasy and turned it into literature. And all our books follow in the lead of that. In other words, they systematized the philosophy, articulated this idea of a chintibeda bed, unity and difference simultaneously. Uh, and, and, and all successive acharyas, or t- teachers will write about that same philosophy. And that's what Prabhupada did. He wrote about that particular philosophy. He didn't give a new philosophy. He didn't start a new system of thought. The differences that he wrote about are relative differences for time and place and circumstance. And if you, if you make those relative differences the absolutes that can't be changed, then you, you're really stuck. Because details can be changed the principles can't. If you if you misconstrue the details to be the principles, hmm, then you you doom yourself to be like uh, you know a thing of the past, hmm, because you change the details in order to deliver the principle in new times and new circumstances. This is the really the task of the acharya. Hmm. So, Prabhupada did not do what Ramanuja did, what Madhva did. He didn't do that. Hmm. He faithfully represented a metaphysic that had already been articulated. That's a very important point. Hmm? And that's why Ramanuja is thought the way of, of the way he is in his lineage or Madhva. And the whole founder Charya, that's just like, these are just English words. Hmm? They didn't call themselves an English founder Acharyas. It's just a kind of a leap that they, this, these people are making to call Prabhupada the fifth founder Acharya. 
And besides that, if you look at the Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti, which is an organization formed by one of Prabhupada's godbrothers um, called, well, called Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti Bhakti Pragyan Keshav Maharaj, Prabhupada was a, help, was a founding member of that before he founded his International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He founded, um, it was a founding member of the Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti. And Keshav Maharaj calls himself the founder acharya of Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti. Hmm? And in the writings of Madhva Maharaj, he's the founding acharya of his particular mission. And they use the term sam, samstapakacharya, pratishtacharya in Sanskrit. Hmm? This means they founded this particular organization, institution within a lineage. So historically, within the same lineage, other people have called themselves founder acharyas. And these people who are calling Prabhupada the founder acharya in the way they are inaccurately are ignorant of the, simply ignorant of this fact, simply grossly ignorant, and they use the term founder acharya to glorify Prabhupada to criticize those people. Hmm? They were not founder acharyas. If we don't need to hear from Sridhar Marsh, we don't need to hear from Keshav Marsh. We don't have they, they, they're, they're lesser people. They're unimportant. They're, they're insignificant, and, and 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 we don't need to hear from the previous saints of so many thousands of years because. We have a new founding acharya who, who, who we have to hear from. Everything stems from... It's just like, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm one, of, I'm one of his disciples and it's like a nightmare to hear this kind of uh, fanaticism being systematically instituted and taught. It's almost like a different religion. It's like founder acharyaism instead of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Gaudiya Vedanta. So this is one example. I could go on about it, but we, it's not the most pleasant topic, but um, just to give the contrast, I wanted to accurately glorify Prabhupada and give an example of how he could be inaccurately glorified, very fanatically, and it's at a great, great cost. It's at a great cost. You may be like jacked up about it today somewhere. Yes, he's the founder. But it won't play out very well in your spiritual life in meeting him in the Dintilila. You got it so mixed up that you're not going to go there. Hmm? You got an imaginary idea of who he was, who's it's inaccurate, that doesn't represent his contribution. You've misunderstood his contribution. Your purpose as a disciple is to understand the contribution and digest it and and uh, imbibe it and, and and go there where he is now, so to speak. They want to keep him here now. Hmm? in terms of all this time and place and circumstance calls and so forth, rather than making new time and place circumstance calls now based on the same philosophy externally in their activities and internally going there, hmm, where he is in that Brahma Mohan Leela. So a few words um, on the day of his appearance. Um, and uh, we've... Now come to the point where we, well, enough said, and uh, we perform the Arctic and Kirtan. And uh, before we do that, this is the last um, uh, of our functions. We'll, we'll have the Arctic for Prabhupada, and there'll be Arctic for the deities, and then there'll be Prashadam, and the festival comes to an end. So I want to take the opportunity to thank all of you for coming. Hmm? It's been uh, very nice to have all of you. And um, and some 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 new faces. Also, some of you have taken trouble to come quite some distance. I do appreciate that. 
And in particular, I want to thank Hari Bhakti for her time here. Hari Bhakti. Who, uh, who, who, who lived with me for two years in one of my ashrams, some of you don't know that history, um, about, what, 20 years ago or so. And um, uh, her and Brindarani were fast uh, buddies at that, that, that time, two young, young girls in there. Well, gosh, she's a little younger than you, maybe a year or so. They were like 18, 19, something like that. Um, and um, so at my request, she's come here early, and she has, a, you can see she... She has a real, like, you can take the monastery out of the monastic, you can take the monastic out of the monastery, but you can't take the, how is it, the, the you can take the mon, mon, monastic out of the monastery, but you can't take the monastery out of the monastic, something like, it has a real powerful, you know, and <laughs> draw and so forth. So she's back, at, some, at least for the last three weeks. She just spent five weeks with me in, 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 um, in Madhavan, also helping me. She came early for the festival, and she um, organized very nicely with uh, help from Nitai, who's also also organizing something else at the same time, which could have been um, consuming in and of itself. So um, he hasn't been as visible as he has in the past, but he's been very involved also. But uh, we really appreciate her contribution. That's one. Appreciate all of you, and I can't go into each of your contributions, but I've looked at all of you and thought you all have something to make. But the other person I'd like to mention uh, and, and thank is uh, is Ananda Vrindavan for his coming and his um, contributing with his kirtans. Uh, he has some ability in that. He was a Prabhupada's, uh, joined Prabhupada's mission as a, as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Many years ago. And... Um, He's living with my disciples, I guess, in Grass Valley now, right? He lives with you guys, right? Has been for a few years. You've been here a few times, and I really appreciated your presence um, all times at this time. And your kirtan is very not, um, there's no, I want to say, it's pure in the sense that there's no pratishta there. Hmm? No pratishta. Pratishta means like you want recognition for being a, you know, a kirtaneer or something like that. This is a very difficult thing to give up, this wanting recognition and so forth. I, so I appreciate that very much. And, 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 uh, and it's a very, very good quality that you have. So we, we, we would like to have you come to all of our festivals. So, and I thank Maharaj for his coming here. He was recently in Hawaii traveling and preaching and um, for his talk today and his talk the other day. And you'll be here for a bit before. You're going to go to Saragrahi next? So from here in October, I'll go to Saragrahi in Asheville. Um, we have a beautiful project there, like this, but much bigger, very beautiful. So Maharaj will come spend some time there. And then go to New York, and go to Madhavan, right? I'm I'm helping him to fulfill one of the other things that Prabhupada said to him, not in a dream, but personally told him he should preach in Latin America, right? So he's been doing that, and he'll be more of that. We have more opportunity that for that now, thanks to the help of some of one other of my God brothers there, Ramesh Baba, uh, who's uh, bringing us in touch with a lot of local people and. And the spiritual scene there, so to speak, and uh, 
yeah, yeah. So, so again, um, it's been very nice to spend a few days with you. Now we have the Arctic for Prabhupada, and then Arctic for the deity, and then Mahapashat. Chila Prabhupada, Vibhav, Mahamotsabhatiti, Ki Jai, Shibhyasa Puja, Ki Jai, Shijan Mastami, Mahamotsabhati, Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Brinda, Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande, Ki Jai.